Our reading today, of course, comes from Romans, and it's from chapter 6, and it will be verses 1 to 10. And I'm reading from the NIV version. And the the beginning of the chapter 6 is headed, Dead to Sin and Alive in Christ. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Thanks for that, Martin. What a wonderful passage we get to open up together. Uh, great to see you all, and uh, I know that you can see me, and I'm really excited to be getting back together at some point. Uh, now, many of you will have will have uh, heard uh, some uh, or oh, before we start, uh, just a reminder: we've got question time straight after. Um, so pop pop those questions in as you go. Uh, you can text them through or ask them in person. Uh, but as we jump into this. Uh, many of you will have heard bits of uh, my story and particularly how I came to follow Jesus. But I grew up uh, thinking I was a Christian when I wasn't. Uh, I grew up uh, with my mum taking me to church every week. Uh, willingly, I went. I went to youth group. I enjoyed it. I identified as a Christian. Uh, it was a great church. The gospel was preached clearly. But there was no real life in me. Uh, there was no real spiritual life. And it was only when I was 18 in, in England uh, that God really did a number on me. Uh, and that was when I really encountered Jesus. Uh, and, and I really made a decision and started following him. Uh, and when I came back from England, having actually met and started following Jesus, I found myself having to have a few conversations. Um, well, it took me a while to have them because it, it was a pretty nervous thing to think about uh, speaking to my, my friends, my school friends, those who I'd been close to uh, before I was a Christian. Uh, and some of those conversations, I can remember a few very distinctly, uh, that I spent the time basically apologising uh, for presenting to them a, a view of Christianity that just wasn't right, for saying, hey, I, I've... I've given you a really terrible picture of what it means to be a Christian uh, because I've told you all these years I was and 
and I wasn't. I, I actually wasn't. Uh, in, in other of those conversations, as I was trying to reconnect with my friends, um, I was trying to assure them, and I, I, I can remember saying things like, I'm the same old lamb, but I just follow Jesus now. Uh, I drink a bit less, uh, and I'm thinking about a different, different way of living my life, but I'm still the same person. And I was trying to encourage them. I was trying to assure them that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still the same person. Fundamentally, deep down, Liam's still here. Have you ever had that? You ever had that experience? Or maybe on the other hand, you've had the opposite experience. Perhaps if you're a Christian, uh, you became a Christian and you just feel like your life exploded, like everything changed. And perhaps you've had the experience where a friend from before you became a Christian uh, comes up to you and says kind of accusingly, kind of with like a conspiratorial wink, you know, yeah, you might be fooling others. You might even be fooling yourself but I know the real you. I know the real you. I've known you for longer than this, and I know who you are deep down. Now, if you're already a Christian, you may have found yourself in one of these situations, uh, either wanting to assure others or someone else pointing it out. Or you may have found yourself, and you may have found yourself in that sort of confused, wondering, well, who, who is the real me? Have I, have I really changed or not? Uh, what, what's, what's happened? And if you're not a Christian today, uh, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith, maybe you're, you're shuffling closer to taking the plunge into following Jesus, you might also be wondering, well, what's the deal? What's the change? What is the change that happens when someone becomes a Christian? Is it like, you know, when Jared and Hannah got married last week? If you caught the, the wedding on Zoom, uh, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? But Hannah used to be a low and now she's a crooks. Is that what it means to become a Christian, a name change? Well, there is a change. She did used to be a low and now she's a crooks, but she still belongs at the low family reunion, doesn't she? She still has a place at the low family Christmas table. So, yeah, she's a crooks now, but oh, it's a bit of a shuffle. It's not quite the same. Is it like that? Or is it more maybe like citizenship? Uh, not, I happen to know some immigrants. Um, I married one. Uh, and I know some, some people who've moved to Australia uh, who've been here for m much longer than Lucy. Uh, and they might say, actually, I've had a few of them say to me, uh, but oh, I'm an Aussie now. I'm an Aussie now. Uh, but in the way they talk, uh, in the things they like, in the way they think about the world, there is still so much about them that is a product of their homeland. So, yes, there are Aussie now, but you can never really change where you grew up, can you? Um, is, is becoming a Christian like that? Or is it like putting on a new robe? Uh, you're still the same old person underneath, but you've got these brand new clothes that Jesus provides. Is it that there's actually not that much change, but I'm heading to a different place now when I die? Is it just that now when I sin, I'm forgiven? Instead of being condemned when I sin, now I'm forgiven. Now God's grace is highlighted when I sin. See, that's our question today. That's what we're asking. And it's exactly where Paul goes in chapter 6 of his letter to the church in Rome. And really this whole chapter, the whole of chapter 6 is the answer. There's a whole lot in there. So what we're going to do is uh, this week uh, we're going to look at the first part of the answer. Uh, we're going to see what's the nature of becoming a Christian. And then next week we'll look at the second part of the answer. In practice, uh, how does becoming a Christian change the way we live? 
Um, so today, Paul is going to step us through, I guess you'd say, the theory. Uh, what does it mean to become a Christian? And he'll show us what the nature of becoming a Christian is. And first of all, we'll see that becoming a Christian is about death and life. That at the core of becoming a Christian, our death, I guess, actually means freedom. But our life, our new life, means hope. Uh, and then, of course, we'll finish up saying what this means for us, uh, how will we uh, apply this, um, and, 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 that's what, and what it means for us today. So, first of all, becoming a Christian is about uh, death and life. Now, Paul has just been hammering on uh, for the last few chapters about how amazing grace is. Rob highlighted that for us uh, last week. Uh, it, that, that this grace that we find in Jesus is just so incredible, uh, just so amazing. Uh, and, and we saw last week how in Adam, as natural humans, we actually get what we deserve. Uh, but if we trust Jesus, it changes. Uh, do you remember this slide that Rob showed us last week? Uh, that as humans, that is descendants of Adam, uh, we share a lot of his characteristics. Uh, we were both represented by Adam and we follow in his footsteps, that we sin, we're condemned, uh, there is judgment coming on us and so we are in this reign of death. That's the way Romans 5 uh, describes us. We're under the rule of sin, the rule of death and it's proven, it's characterised by the, the way we all die. But then there's this change if we start following Jesus, that we go from being under one representative, Adam, to being under a new representative, Jesus. And under Jesus, it's a dramatic change. Uh, under Jesus, instead of sin, we see righteousness because that's how Jesus was. He was good. He was, he was godly. He was perfect. He honoured his father all the time. Uh, and because of uh, his death on the cross, Instead of us receiving condemnation and judgment, he took that on himself. And then we can be in this new reign, this new rule, this new era, if you like. So rather being under the reign of a reign of death and sin, we can now be under the reign of grace with its resulting life. So instead of sin leading to death, in Jesus, sin is responded to with grace. If you're a Christian, now when you muck up, when you sin, and I know you do because I do as well, uh, when we sin, we're no longer met with condemnation and judgment that we'll receive. We're met with grace because we've found forgiveness in Jesus. We're met with undeserved generosity. And that's an amazing truth. It's too good to be true in a way. And it can create some questions like this one that Paul starts this passage by asking. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And, and that, in the context, is actually not that silly a question, is it? If now, if you're now under Jesus, when you sin, you're met with grace. God's generosity is displayed when we sin. And you can imagine this question, this hypothetical, maybe you've wondered it. Well, if my sin highlights how awesome God is, how generous God is, how good God is, how forgiving God is, should I keep sinning so that God's goodness and generosity and grace will be highlighted? I actually heard someone suggest that if we've never asked that question, maybe we don't really get grace. If we've never even wondered, maybe we don't really get 
that now under Christ, if we're Christians, our failures are not met with condemnation but with forgiveness and grace that brings glory to God. Isn't it an incredible thing? It really is a gift. It really is, it really is undeserved that our salvation doesn't need to be proven that we deserve it. But doesn't mean we get a free pass. Um, now that I've got eternal consequences uh, for my sins sorted, doesn't mean I can just get on with my life knowing that, yep, I've got it sorted. Well, well Paul responds to this with a really emotional response. Uh, I've got my Greek lecture in my ear sort of yelling, Meganoita, uh, which is big no. May it never be, by no means. This is coming from the heart for Paul. He says, by no means, we, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any, any longer? That, that, that's the statement that Paul makes in answer to this question, and he's going to unpack that statement over the rest of this chapter. And he explains it right now. He shows uh, that this concept, uh, the concept that Christians, those who are in Christ, are now dead to sin, have died to sin, this reality is actually symbolised in one of our core ceremonies as Christians. It's what baptism is all about. Have a look there in verse 3. Or don't you know, Paul writes, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through through the glory of of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united to him with a re- in a resurrection like his. Now, I think we're probably all familiar with the term baptism. It's done in different ways in different parts of the world, in different churches. Uh, but one of the most common ways uh, and the way we often do it here is by dunking a person underwater. Uh, we like to do it in the lake, uh, and, and it helps, I think, doing it in the lake because you come out of Lake Macquarie, lake Macquarie dirtier than when you went in. Um, so baptism isn't about going in dirty and coming out clean. Uh, it doesn't actually change you. Um, it's a hugely symbolic uh, custom ceremony that's done by Christians when we start to follow Jesus. And it's not just a presentation. It's not like just being given a certificate, like, hey, you've now graduated, here you go. It's actually a marker, a declaration of a reality that Paul really wants us to understand here. And it's the reality that is understanding what has happened when you've become a Christian. What is it like? Uh, So the baptism ceremony is not likened to a marriage. It's not like you were in this family and now you've been married and you're in a different family. It's, it's not likened to that. The baptism ceremony isn't described as a citizenship ceremony where you were this citizen, now you're a new citizen, here you go. No, no, the baptism ceremony in the Christian world, in the Bible, is described as a death. Did you realise that? It, it's, it's a death. And it's consistent through the whole New Testament that this is what happens when you become a Christian. Uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul writes uh, the same thing but in different words. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but but Christ lives in me. I want to say Jesus Christ lives in me because there's a Colin Buchanan song that's in my head on that verse. Uh, What happens when we become a Christian? 
fundamentally is that our old self, our old self of sin has to die. And that's because we were in a different family. That's what we saw last week. We were in Adam's family. We're in a family that because of the family we're born into disqualified us from being in God's family. Because Adam, our forefather, our ancestor, our representative, uh, he sinned in a way that affected us all. Rob described it last week. Uh, like cricket, uh, he chose to feel instead of bat. And one after other, each of his children, each human, when given the opportunity, has followed in his footsteps. He, he sinned, he representatively sinned for us, and then each of us, given the opportunity, every human has sinned, has followed in his footsteps. And, and that has disqualified us utterly. And that means that if we want to come into God's family, if we want to change families, we don't just need a little tweak. We don't just need to tidy up. We don't need our, our faces cleaning. We don't just need to get out of jail free card. Our old self needs to die. And the death that Paul points to here, it's not any death. It's actually Jesus' death that Paul points to. The focus in this passage is on Jesus' death, um, the crucifixion where Jesus died in our place, uh, where he atoned for us. We've seen that through Romans. He took the punishment that was heading for us. He took that on himself. And so he saved us from what we've earned, what we deserved. He actually dealt with our sin once and for all. Uh, Paul, again, in Corinthians this time, describes it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God. See, as we start digging into what happened at the cross, as we start digging into what it means to become a Christian, in a way it gets far more complex because it's not just that kind of Jesus paid the debt that we owed. It's not that it's just we, we owed a million dollars, Jesus pulled out his wallet, paid the million dollars, okay, your debt's been paid. This is more than that. Uh, Jesus did pay the, the, the price, the punishment, but he actually on the cross became united with us. Did you see that? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Not to take the consequences of sin, but to be sin for us. So that in him, that's that unity, that united in him language that we saw in Romans 6, in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus really did take our place. In a real way, he, he took into himself all of who we are so that it could die, so that sin could die and we could be released from it. And it's in that union that we find salvation because Jesus became sin for us, we might become his righteousness. So that because we're united with him in his death, we can be raised with him in this new life. But it's not just out with the old and in with the new. Um, it's more than this. It's actually a there's, a, there's a naming ceremony being described as Paul describes this baptism. Uh, the baptism is the celebration that all that has happened. Uh, and it's the celebration is a, it's a changing of families and a changing of names. And I heard a helpful illustration, well, I thought it was helpful, uh, that helped me understand it uh, this week. Um, as, we, as we think about what baptism is, 
Uh, the illustration was of an English gentleman uh, who had who met a, a Chinese student and he got to know him. They became good friends. And after a number of years, he asked him, the Chinese student's name was Timothy, and he asked him, Timothy, what's your real name? Now, that can be a very offensive question, uh, but they knew each other. They were close friends. Uh, and the student said, Timothy, he said, no, 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 what, what was the name you were born with? What was the name you were given when you were born? And he pronounced a name uh, that this English fellow couldn't even pronounce. Uh, and so he said to him, ah, so, so that's your real name. And Timothy said, no, 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 you, you misunderstand me. Timothy was the name I was given when I was baptised. Timothy, that was the name that I was given when I became a Christian. That's my real name. That's really who I am. See, that, that, that Christian Timothy, he, he got it, didn't he? That becoming a Christian, it wasn't just a tweak. It was a change of who he was. He has a new name now. And, and in a way, that's, that's kind of helpful, isn't it? Uh, to be given that new name and that new identity to say, I am a new person in Christ. My old person is dead. That old self that was under the reign and rule of, of sin is dead. And now I have this new name, this new identity in Christ. Becoming a Christian is about death, but it's about death and life. That's what Paul wants us to see. Becoming a Christian is to die, but it's to get a new name, a new life. But what does it mean in real type terms? What does that look like? What does the death and life mean? Well, the first thing we're going to see here, or the second thing I should say we're going to see here, is that the death actually means freedom. That's where Paul takes us in verses 6 and 7. Have a look there. For we know, Paul writes, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to point out in the language here that I think is quite helpful. Uh, that phrase, done away with, um, the body ruled by sin has been done away with, uh, that could be translated, and maybe more helpfully, uh, rendered powerless. So when I think of something being done away with, I think of it ceasing to exist. It's not there anymore at all. Uh, and that kind of understanding of our sinful bodies can sometimes lead to an idea that when you become a Christian, uh, you don't sin anymore. Uh, your, your body of sin is gone. Uh, and then if you sin ever again after you become a Christian, well, you're not really a Christian. But, but that's not what Paul's saying here. And especially as we work through Romans, uh, we're going to see that that's not the nature of the Christian life. Rather, sin in our bodies has been rendered powerless, rendered powerless. Uh, we're not ruled by it anymore. We're not controlled by sin and the passions of sin uh, like we used to be. Uh, by way of illustration, it's maybe a little bit like having a lung transplant. Uh, if you imagine if you've been maybe a heavy smoker for 50, 60 years uh, and your lungs have really borne the brunt of that uh, and you're about to die because your lungs can no longer function because of what's going on inside them and you get a lung transplant or you're being offered a new set of lungs, fundamentally the old lungs have to be cut out, don't they? They, they, have, to, they have to die in a very real way. They have to die so that you can get the new ones. And once they've died, they are rendered powerless. 
uh, before with your old lungs and your emphysema, you weren't able to walk upstairs. You weren't able to go on hikes. You weren't able to play with the grandkids. But with these new lungs, you don't have to wear the consequences of them anymore. Those old lungs, they're in a jar somewhere. They are powerless to hold me back anymore. They've been rendered powerless to affect me. In the next little phrase in verse 7, uh, there's another little phrase that I think is really helpful uh, where Paul says anyone who's, who has died has been set free from sin. Now, this is just a little piece of trivia. Uh, but back in the olden days uh, in Scotland, uh, if there was a criminal who was sentenced to death, uh, on the day of their execution, there would be a, a notice uh, put up on the door of the jail. This was a legal thing. It happened, happened at 8 a.m., which was when executions happened. Uh, and the, the, and the, the sign would say, Angus McPherson, let's say that's who it was, Angus McPherson has been justified at 8 a.m. on this day. That was the phrase. Angus McPherson has been justified. And that little word there, anyone who has died has been Set free is the word for justified, has been set free from sin. See, for the Scottish criminal who, who had earned his execution, uh, that, that phrase that says they have been justified, they are now dead, the law has no claim on them. The price has been paid. There's nothing more to pay. They have been set free. Uh, and it was only by their death that they were set free. And, and that's kind of what happens in us. Before, uh, before we are in the power of sin, we are under sin's power, we are condemned, and the only thing that's coming for us in the future is God's eternal punishment. But once that old self has died, Sin is rendered powerless. We have been set free from the power of sin and the consequences of sin, free from the reign of sin. Before, in our old selves, uh, we're kind of incapable of truly doing good. That's what the New Testament shows us, uh, that unless you're doing the good thing to please God and to honour him, it's not truly good. Under, under sin, under the reign of death, uh, we are serving ourselves and when that, when that old self dies, we are now free not to sin. And again, this isn't perfectionism, but we're in a different mode. It's recognising I truly have changed. I might still slip up, but my life from this time on will demonstrably be, be different because who I really am has changed. The old self is dead and a new self is here. So we've seen uh, that becoming a Christian, it's not like a marriage, it's not like a citizenship ceremony, it's about death and life, that the death actually means freedom for us. And now we see that the life means hope, and we see that in verses 8 to 10. Have a look there. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This is an amazing little chunk, and I reckon we could have a, a good couple of hours of sermons just on this, these verses, but we're just going to whiz through it uh, because it's just incredible, isn't it, that if we follow Jesus, 
if we are united with Jesus, if our old selves die with Christ, we are also united with him in his resurrection, in his life. That fundamentally becoming a Christian not only means dying, but being raised and being raised never to die again. Uh, I'm going to read now another Colin Buchanan song. Uh, it's actually John 14, 1 to 4. Uh, feel free to sing it. I won't sing it. But, but this, this helps, I think, because it's Paul's describing what Jesus was saying here. John 14, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. See, Jesus not only died, but was raised never to die again. Death has no claim on him. Death has no hold on him. He is raised, he's glorified, and he will never die again. And Jesus says, if you follow me, if you follow me into death, if your old self dies, if you are united with me in that way, you will follow me into life too. You can't come with me now, he said to the disciples. You can't come to the eternal life now, but it does begin now and will carry on in a very real way to the end. This new life as a Christian actually starts when you become a Christian. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, but, but now there's this full experience. There is an, ex an experience of real life now that we can have joy now, but there's a fuller experience to come. And what we're experiencing now is like the first fruits. Uh, in uh, Jesus' time where fig trees were much more common, though the early little buds on the fig tree, and you could say there's going to be a crop because I can see these little figs. I can taste them. I can eat the sweet fruits, but the full harvest is coming. And that's what our life now is like. We can see it. We can experience some joy now. We can have this new life that starts now knowing that the harvest is coming, the full experience of life is coming, that our physical death in this life, if we die before Jesus comes back, our physical death in this life is no longer a terror and you're unknown about what comes next, but it becomes the doorway into the full life with Christ. Isn't this an incredible passage? As we see that becoming a Christian, it's about death and life, that this death means freedom, uh, that the life means hope. And so what should that mean for us? Three things I think this should mean for us. Uh, the first, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to take the plunge, to make the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, now, I'd already become a Christian uh, when I'd come back to Australia, but one of the formative moments in the first couple of years after I was back, was I was actually at a Katoomba men's convention and sitting in a sermon uh, and the preacher was preaching uh, on this passage, or at least one of the parallels, uh, where Jesus is describing what it means to become a Christian and to continue to be a Christian. And Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, and the preacher, he, he used the illustration that sometimes I think we can think of becoming a, G, a Christian like putting on a backpack. Like before you're on your own, you're just walking along, you're doing what you, along, you're doing what you want. 
nothing encumbering you and you become a Christian you say, okay, here's Jesus, I'm going to put the Jesus backpack on and now wherever I go in life, I've got this backpack on. If I go to work, I've got Jesus with me now. If I'm at home, I've got Jesus with me now all the time. And while it's true, it's not fundamentally what Jesus calls us to. He doesn't say put me on like a backpack and I'll come where you go. He says deny yourself, take up your cross, which is the instrument of death, and follow me. So another uh, version of what Paul says in Romans 6, that to become a Christian is to die to die with Jesus, to be united with him by the old self dying, being denied, and a new life coming as we follow Jesus. And I want to encourage us, uh, whether it's for the first time or again and again, to embrace Jesus, to unite with Jesus, to decide, yeah, that's what I want to do. I don't want to hang on to my old self anymore. I want to deny my old self. I want that self to die. I want to follow Jesus now. And if you've done that, uh, that's so exciting. Uh, if you've done that again, having done it a thousand times, that's exciting too because we've got to keep doing this daily. But once we've done that, the next thing I want to do is, I guess it's a little bit of a challenge. Do you really believe that the reign of death is over? Do you really believe that the reign of death is over? Uh, one of my friends, uh, I was hearing him talk about going to the circus when he was young. Uh, I don't remember these days, he's a little bit older than me, and being just amazed by an elephant outside the front of the tent. And this huge elephant was actually tied with a rope to a little stake that was driven into the ground. Uh, and you might have heard this illustration before because it's a good one. Uh, but my, my friend was just amazed. That little rope and that little stake is not stopping that elephant. <laughs> There's no way. But the way they train elephants uh, like this is when they're young, they put a chain that is unbreakable around the elephant's leg and they tie that chain to something that is unmovable. And pretty soon that young elephant learns that it is impossible to break free. You can pull as hard as you like, you cannot break free. And it becomes so ingrained in the elephant's mind that slowly they change that chain to a heavy rope and then a lighter rope and a lighter rope. And they chain that immovable object to a little peg, and still the elephant is convinced, I cannot break free. Now the question becomes is do you really, really believe that the reign of death is over or are you still kind of trapped in it, like an elephant with a little rope around its leg to the peg? You can get away if you want, but you don't truly believe that you can stop sinning. You don't truly believe that the reign of sin is over and we kind of throw up our hands in an area of our life. Now, I'm not saying that we uh, should expect that we'll be perfect and never sin again, but the reign of sin can and should be over. We've been freed from that. That's what Jesus' death achieved for us in our union with him. Do you really believe that? And the final thing for us to consider doing is to, <clears throat> not consider doing, I want us to do it, is to celebrate your new name. See, if you've been baptised, your baptism, whether you realise it or not, if you're a Christian, your baptism was a naming ceremony. It was where we were celebrating getting a good, a new name. Uh, and I would encourage you that if, if you're a Christian, you haven't been baptised, to get baptised. Uh, now, today it is cold. I, wouldn't, <laughs> I reckon we wait till it warms up a bit. 
Uh, I'd also recommend that we wait till we can get all together because it's such a celebration, isn't it, to gather together and celebrate uh, the reality that's already happened, that this brother or sister of ours has passed from death to life. That's what, that's what the imagery of baptism means. As you go under the water, you are dying, and as you come up, you're raised to life with Christ. It's not happening at that moment, but that's the imagery. That's what it, that's what it means. So I'm going to suggest that if you're not baptised yet, if you are a Christian, haven't been baptised, let's have some baptisms early next year when it's warm, when we can get together and do it together and celebrate the new name that that we have been given as we've been unified, united with Christ. Uh, And if you have been baptised, look back on it. It, it, Enjoy it, celebrate it. Remember that that's what's already happened. Uh, One of the things we can do, Uh, to celebrate, uh, to get our hearts right, I guess you'd say, uh, is to sing. And we've got a great song now uh, that's going to help us celebrate what Jesus has done and what uniting with him does in changing our identity uh, in that death and the new life. So please, you're at home, you're allowed to sing along, celebrate uh, with the band uh, as as we celebrate the new name we have in Jesus. Well, uh, how good was that? And I could uh, see but not hear a bunch of you singing. Um, I reckon Lyndon should wear a different colour shirt when he's uh, playing. He's a very talented guy to be able to play two things at once. Um, but yeah, what a, what a great song. Aren't we, aren't we blessed to have a, a, group, a Christian community that put, put together songs that help us celebrate and feel the realities of what Jesus has done for us? So hopefully you're going to be humming that one through the week. But it is question time now, so get those questions in. Uh, I don't think we've had a couple of comments. I do see that Sue noticed Rob's shirt even before I did. Thanks, Sue. So Sue would have roused on him even if I didn't. So that's right. Um, and a couple other comments. Yeah, how good is it that sin is rendered powerless? What a, what a great encouragement. And Kay loves John 14. Yeah. Yeah, that's another good one to be humming along this week. Okay, well, I'm going to call it there. If we, Oh, here we go. Anna, we'll ask you to un, unmute. You got your hand up? Yep. What have we got, Anna? Um, about the baptism, um, because you mentioned baptism as a ceremony mm. and as imagery. Um, and in, the first, in those two verses in Chapter 6 that we're reading, verse 3 and 4, it's, yeah. to me, it actually is more than implying, but it's saying in very strong language that we have been baptised into his death yeah, and we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Yes. Um, and in Colossians 2.12, it says, yep. having been buried with him in baptism in which you all were also raised up with him. Mm. Um, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. To yeah. me, um, to, to say that it's ceremony and imagery, it's, it's an event um, yeah. because something actually happens in like we do it physically but also like we don't die physically and we don't live again physically but I think it's a, it's. it's um, in our spirit, it's a spiritual thing that God does in us, the Holy Spirit does in us at that yeah. time. 
Um, yeah, th thanks, Anna. So a comment, and I'll see if I've <clears throat> got this wrong, but you're saying, I, I did say, and you're right, uh, it's a ceremony, baptism is a ceremony and a symbol of an internal reality. Uh, but it seems like it's saying here and in, uh, I think you mentioned Colossians, uh, that it, it reads as though, no, no, the, the spiritual reality is happening as you're being baptised rather than it's, it's a sign of a ceremony to celebrate something else. Yeah. Is, that, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And also yep. um, some people uh, give it as an optional extra to the Christian life, mm. baptism like this, but it's, an, it's a part of our obedience yeah. to following Christ. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Anna. And and I think you're you're right, especially on that end one, that we absolutely agree. It's not baptism isn't presented in the Bible as an optional extra. Uh, it's something that we're called to do to say, hey, uh, believe, believe and be baptized. Uh, however, I think the way, especially when we read the whole of the New Testament, uh, and the different ways that becoming a Christian, being born again, uh, having faith in Jesus are described. They're not always described in the same way. Uh, so sometimes it's described as uh, having faith. Sometimes it's described as confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart. Sometimes it's described as being baptised. But it's actually all kind of the same thing. And I think what we're seeing here is Paul's absolute commitment and assumption that if you're a Christian, you've been baptised. Uh, so saying, well, when you when you baptise, it's shorthand for saying when you became a Christian, uh, which was symbolised uh, by this by this baptism, uh, and I, I I don't want to build uh, a theology on pragmatics. We've got to build uh, our theology, what we believe, on what we see. Uh, but for example, um, just to, off the top of my head, the thief on the cross, he didn't get dunked, um, he didn't get baptised. I don't think he even got sprinkled. Uh, but in a very real way, he was crucified with Christ, uh, that's probably not the right phrase for him because he actually was, uh, but his, his old self, his old self was put to death and, a, and a new, he got a new life. He got a new hope. Uh, he was united with Christ in that moment uh, and was delivered into eternal life through that, even without, even without the baptism. So I think it's yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to pin it on say, yeah, in the moment of baptism, hey, if you, you haven't been baptised and you die on your way to get baptised, then you missed out. You haven't actually been united with Christ in his death because you actually didn't get baptised. I don't think we'd want to say that. Yeah, I, don't I, don't think think that I don't think that's what no, you were I saying. No, no, yeah. definitely not. Um, but um, there is something happening when we get baptised. Uh, and... So, so, so there is something spiritual that's happening. I don't think it's we're becoming a Christian. I don't think it's that all of us, we weren't united with Christ and we are now. But as in obedience, you take this sacrament, this ceremony, this symbolism, as you obey Christ and do this thing, something does happen inside you. Uh, a little bit like when we when we celebrate communion together. Again, I'm so excited to get together and be able to sit around at the Lord's table and celebrate communion. And that little bit of bread or rice cracker and that little bit of grape juice, that, that doesn't give us grace. It doesn't do anything. But in obeying Jesus and remembering and taking that time, it actually does do something for us spiritually. 
Uh, not that you can just take it and get your top up in your dose. Um, and same thing, not that you can say, oh, well, I better go get baptised and job done, I'm ticked, I'm now united with Christ. Something internal's got to have happened. And when we do the, the, do the, the ceremony, the sacrament, with that eternal, internal reality, that's when we, we really see it come. I'm not explaining that very well. It's a longer discussion, uh, but I can see Sue's got a hand up as well. So we might, we might jump onto that next one. You'll have to unmute yourself first, Sue. Sorry. Sorry. Now we can to, hear you. Had to do it twice. Sorry. When Jesus was being baptised by John, mm. he said, I will baptise you in the spirit. Yeah. When um, you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is that not yeah. baptism? Uh, yes, uh, but it's a different, yeah, so it's, yes is the answer, but it's, it doesn't seem to be what Paul is describing here. Mm. Um, so elsewhere, uh, it's really clear, Paul actually talks uh, that we were baptised, as you say, uh, into the Spirit. Uh, that's when we, we actually, well, and, and in the Holy Spirit. But this seems to be talking about the physical water baptism uh, and the imagery that goes with that. So I think Paul's talking about something different here. And it, and it does seem that it's actually at the moment of conversion that you do receive the Holy Spirit. Um, you don't have to wait until you get dunked in water to actually receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Thanks, Sue. Hey, Liam, have you got time for another question? Far away, Ben. <laughs> I don't know if you've already answered it. Uh, I'm just wondering, so the, the question of um, Christ has died and we've been united with him in his death, uh, and so our nature, you know, in union with Christ, it's that we've received righteousness, we're no longer under sin. Verse 11, <laughs> so I know it's from the next passage, talks about considering ourselves dead to sin or, yeah. you know, in the old language, reckon yourselves dead to sin. So. Uh, my question is, how much is it dependent upon my own reckoning? Mm. Um, well, is it that there's a there's a spiritual reality that's taken place and I'm being encouraged, we're all being encouraged to remember that and bring it to mind to gain awareness of that. But even when we don't recognise that, it's, mm. it's subjective, it's objectively true. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, you're right. We'll get on to that next week. Uh, interestingly, verse 11 of chapter 6 is the first imperative. It's the first command in Romans. Isn't that amazing? Six chapters and no instructions on what to do. This is the first time Paul says do something. And the thing he says to do, you are already uh, out of the reign of death and sin. Now, consider yourselves out of that, you know, reckon yourself, behave, and then he goes on, so behave like that. And that's where we're going to dig into the practicalities. Uh, but even at the moments, I guess that's, a, that, I think what you're saying is, uh, even in the moments where we're not doing that perfectly, uh, where we're not considering ourselves or behaving like we are completely free uh, from the reign of sin, uh, does that does that affect us? No. If we're truly trusting Jesus, if we've been united with Him, then we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Uh, and now Paul says that that is true. 
Therefore, go and do to do the same. Um, similar, I think the helpful thing as we uh, looked at in God's big picture last last week, week before, um, that God saved the Israelites before He gave them the law. He said, "You are my people. I have saved you. Now behave like it." He doesn't say, "Hey, tidy up your life, follow these commandments, and then I'll save you. Then you will be my." He says, "No, no, no. You are my people. I have saved you." Now I'll live like it. And that's that's what we're going to get to next week. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, little comment there. Thank you. Baptism isn't a salvation issue, is it? Uh, great question. Uh, and this is, a, this is a little bit of a tricky one. Uh, I'm going to say it's about your heart and your intention. It always is when it comes to obedience. But Jesus does say really clearly, go get baptised. Uh, he does say to his disciples, go and when you tell people about, about me, baptize them. Um, so if someone wasn't going to be baptized, I'd want to, if, and they're saying, and I don't want to be, uh, I'd want to have a pretty serious conversation about, well, why? What, what is it about getting baptized that makes you think, no, no, that's not for me. I don't need to do it. Uh, anytime we consider uh, something that Jesus says pretty clearly, uh, and say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Whoa, we, we, we probably should come back and say, well, this is really important. Why is it that I can't do that? And if, I don't know, if you're allergic to water or something, I think that would be okay. Um, but we've got a different one. Yeah. Uh, but but when, we come to, and when we come to baptism as a Christian, it's something that Jesus does call us to do. Uh, Rob, is there another one come in? Do you want to read that out for me? I think I can see it there. So it says, I was... Oh, maybe I'll read it because I've got the mic. That's right. Okay. Uh, thanks. thanks for that, Peter. Um, I'll see if I can squint. I was raised Catholic, so I always believed that I was a Christian as I had my certificate and the candle with my name on it, maybe an actual one. Uh, once I learned just a few years ago how to become a Christian and got baptised in a lake, that was the moment that I felt that I was in Jesus' hands and free. Uh, to Kay and all of you, that was the deepest experience of my life. Thanks, for Peter. That's a wonderful little thing to share. Uh, and that, I think that's where and maybe um, uh, Anna, that's what you're getting at a little bit too. It's a profoundly beautiful experience to, to enact and celebrate this new name uh, that Jesus has given us, and it can be a real moment of joy. And I think we might leave it at that. Over to you, Rob.